Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Viva Albertos podcast. As always, my name is John Fleming. I'm a writer at Viva Albertos, joined as always by writer slash editor at Viva Albertos, Heather Simon. Hello. Right, a little less excited than some <laughs> of the other intros, but that's all right. Um, quite a bit's happened in the last couple of weeks since we did a podcast. I remember last week we were kind of thinking, oh, there's not really a whole lot of news that came out. We'll just skip a week. And then pretty much as soon as we made that decision, all of the news started to come out. And we're going to talk about all that, talk about some of the rumors that are flying, some of the things that could be happening with the winter meetings going on in Washington, D.C. First, though, first things first, <laughs> and Heather looks very excited already because she knows what's coming. Okay. I actually did not come up with a trivia question for you personally. However, we did get a uh, user-submitted email suggesting a trivia question, so we're going to go ahead and go with what he said. It seems a little unfair that he emailed me since I'm the one who's always coming up with the questions, but... Yeah, come on, guys. Help me out here. Yeah, if somebody wants to email Heather some trivia questions, I'm sure she would very greatly appreciate it. But in the meantime, I got an email from uh, Mr. Tyler Opinion, who actually emailed in a question to the last episode. So Tyler, I thought we were friends. I thought we were cool. Yep. Apparently you thought wrong, but <laughs> I think this is a very gettable trivia question. So Thanks for listening, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah showing such great appreciation for our listeners. Just start berating them for mm. participating. <laughs> I appreciate your question. Okay. So the question that he submitted was, this is another one of those questions where it's a list of players. There are 17 players since 2003 who, while with the Cardinals, received some sort of MVP votes. Like whether it be a first place vote, second through 10th place MVP votes. Okay. There's 17 of them. List them? Yeah. Guess them until you get somebody wrong. You don't have to guess them in order or anything or by volume, just at least one season receiving at least a 10th place MVP vote. Okay. Well, pool holes. Yep. Pujols received votes in every year from 2003 to 2011. So every year he was with the Cardinals. Molina. Yep. Molina received votes in 2009, 2011 through 2013. And then he actually received a couple of votes this last year. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, Alan Craig. I would not have guessed that that would be the person you would go to next. But yep, Alan Craig, <laughs> uh, 2012 and 2013. Okay. So those were the three that I knew for sure. So now, Matt Carpenter? Yep, Matt Carpenter, uh, 2013 and 2015. Matt Holliday? Uh, Yep, Matt Holliday, who obviously we'll be talking about in a bit, received votes in 2009, 2010, and then 2012 through 2014. I was a little surprised that he didn't in 2011, but plenty of representation to get on the list. Okay, since 2003, so that would include 2004? Correct. Okay. That is how years work. That, that is indeed how chronology works okay. in general. So let's go with like Scott Rowland. Yep. Scott Rowland, 2004, received MVP votes. And Jim Edmonds. Yep. Edmonds, uh, 2003 through 2005. Okay. So some pitchers probably received some. So let's just go with Chris Carpenter. Yep. Chris Carpenter, 2005, 2006, and 2009. It's like, I want to say Adam Wainwright, but I feel like he didn't. So I'm going to hold off on that one until I run out of ideas. Well, yeah, if you feel like he didn't, you probably shouldn't guess him. That yeah, but him. I mean, like, when I get to the end and I can't think of any more, I'll save that one for the end. Because I don't want to end it right now before I get a chance to think. Okay. 
So let's think around the infield here. Some key like shortstops. So they had Edgar Renteria, but I don't know if he would get MVP votes necessarily. And like David Eckstein, but I don't think he would get MVP votes unless that's a really like funny. I mean, he won the World Series MVP. Yeah, this is just talking regular season and no yeah. postseason awards. So um, then there's second base, which was kind of like a shuffle. So I don't think anyone from second base. So it's got to be people from like the outfield. Was uh, is this? Was, can you tell me if like Ray Langford played on the team after 2003? I cannot tell you that now. I feel like he did. I'm just trying to think of my little poster that I had in my room growing up that had the 2003 roster on it. Beltron had a lot of homers. That probably would help. It's just hard to remember 2007 to 2010, you know? Those years are all a blur to me. And I was like in high school during that time, wasn't watching a lot of baseball because I was playing sports and stuff. Yeah, I get it, you're younger than me. <laughs> Um, let's just, let's just go with Carlos Beltran. Yep, Carlos Beltran okay. in 2010, or not 2010, 2012, sorry. What about Lance Berkman? Yep, Lance Berkman okay. in 2011. Um. So you're up to nine. Okay, that's respectable, I think. What about, what about Edgar Renteria? Renteria, yep, 20, 2003. Cool, okay. So that's 10. Let's, let's say Adam Wainwright. Yep, Adam Wainwright, okay. uh, 2009, 2010, 2013, and 2014. Oh, wow, so he got it a lot of times. Yep. Let's see. He was definitely the most obvious name that was still on the board. So, if we're thinking, maybe like, I don't know, like Jeff Supon? Is that your guess, Jeff Supon? Yes. Jeff Supon is incorrect. Dang it. I should have said Larry Walker. Yeah. The player, Larry Walker, was not one of them. I didn't them. think so, because he was only on a team for like a month, and he was on a bad team before that. But. Well, he was on the 2005 team as well, but he did not. So I accidentally erased one of the names, so I'm trying to like feverishly search through to figure out who it was I erased. <laughs> Maybe we can figure it out. The ones that I know that you missed were uh, David Eckstein in 2005. He got one in 2005? Yeah, I don't know why. I said him out loud. That counts for something. No, you said a lot of these people out loud. Actually, he might have been the only one you said that you didn't guess. Um, Ryan Ludwig in 2008. Oh, I forgot he existed. Okay. Uh, Johnny Peralta in 2014. Shoot! That's the one I was thinking of. I was trying to think, like... Anyway, go ahead. And then in 2015, you missed two players. Uh, Jason Hayward and Trevor Rosenthal. Oh, Trevor Rosenthal. I thought about... I thought about both those players, but I didn't think that they... I guess there's a lot of MVP votes. Like, just at least getting one vote. That's... Yeah, the, the down ballot votes, that's how Eckstein got on the list. Yeah, that's a wide net. Yeah, but no. still only 17, that doesn't seem very many, considering like Trevor Rosenthal and David Eckstein are on there. No offense to Trevor Rosenthal, but he's a reliever, and he got an MVP vote. That seems kind of ridiculous. And there's one other player that we were missing from the list, and if anybody uh, would like to take a guess at who that was, this is sort of a user participation, which is totally a thing that we've planned out, not just the fact that I accidentally erased a name off of our list. So if you have any uh, guesses for who number 17 is, <laughs> you go right ahead and uh, send it in, and we'll confirm or deny whether or not you're correct. This totally wasn't based off of like 10 minutes of rummaging through baseball reference, unable to find <laughs> it. 
But anyway, there's plenty of actual like current Cardinals news to discuss, so let's go ahead and talk about that. And as I mentioned before, there was not a whole lot going on in like the week after our last episode. But then on last Thursday night was the news that I mean, none of the moves that happened for the Cardinals as far as roster changes were that unpredictable, but this was probably the one that was the most surprising, which was that the Cardinals traded Jaime Garcia to the Atlanta Braves. And Garcia, of course, had had a bit of a down season for the Cardinals, and there was some controversy about whether or not they should pick up his option for 2017. They ended up doing so. It was for $12 million. They ended up trading him to the Atlanta Braves for three prospects, none of whom are considered to be particularly elite-level prospects by any means, but... And the three prospects that the Cardinals acquired were Chris Ellis, Luke Dykstra, and John Gant. And none of them were particularly like high-end prospects, but I guess that's to be expected. If I was a big proponent, personally, of the Cardinals picking up the option on Jaime Garcia just because I felt like he had some trade value, but that isn't to say that he was going to be the focal point in like a major acquisition. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been any sort of question about whether or not they were going to pick up that option, and... I think overall the move makes sense for both teams. Like, it's a little bit weird that the Braves are acquiring all these veteran pitchers. They got R.A. Dickey, <laughs> Bartolo Colon, Jaime Garcia, relatively speaking, is a young guy for a team that's, by all accounts, rebuilding. But I guess with the new stadium opening, they're trying to at least put out some sort of presentable product, and that's fine. But um, what are your overall, I guess, remembrances of Jaime Garcia at this point. Like, it's it's weird to have nostalgia about somebody that was traded you know, five days ago, but mm-hmm. I think there was some writing on the wall that he might be gone. We were a little bit prepared for it, but he's you know, still a little bit sad. He seems like it's been around for you know, quite a few years, gone now. He's one of the last few remaining members of the 2011 team. Uh, I always liked really watching Garcia pitch a lot. He was one of my favorite pitchers to watch when he was on. That's, I think, what a lot of people will say about him. When Jaime Garcia was right, he was one of the best to watch. He just had, like, stuff that could blow away any batter, and it was really fun. I always said that his pitching was almost like art. It almost seemed like art, because the way the ball would move, it was just pretty. It reminded me of watching someone that's just, like, a master at their craft, like, perform their craft. And it always made me think of Pablo Neruda sonnets. <laughs> yeah. Heather's doing, like, air painting. Yeah. I'm not sure why. I guess she's trying to demonstrate art, but... That's what it makes me think of, is just watching this, like, this really great painter. Uh, I can't think of what they're called. Artist? No, but, like, there's a there's a word for someone that's really good. A master, master, maestro? Maestro? Maestro, that's like a... It's more of a music, music term, thing. but... But something like that. I can't think of the word right now, but they just, when you watch them, like Bob Ross, whenever you watch Bob Ross, he's just like, do, 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 and then all of a sudden there's a huge painting. And that's what, kind of what it was with Garcia, like just pitch, 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 and then all of a sudden, you know, he's gone eight. Yeah, I mean, the Jaime Garcia to Bob Ross comparison, that's been made so many times, it's really a, almost a cliche at this point. And by me, I've yeah. made it a lot of times. I know that's sarcasm, but yeah. I've made that comparison a lot. <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, there aren't a whole lot of players left from that 2011 team. Now, now with uh, Garcia and with you know, Matt Holliday, who we'll talk about in a moment, but like Yadier Molina's still around. I'm not sure if you really count Wainwright because he didn't pitch in 2011. I don't really count Matt Carpenter because he barely played. And I guess Lance Lynn would count just because mm-hmm. he 
pitching in relief in 2011. But yeah, not a lot of guys left from that team, and yeah, the team's still been pretty successful throughout that time, which is... Uh, it just doesn't seem that long ago that they won the World Series, and then you think of all the players that aren't there anymore that were on that team, and it makes you think, wow, a lot of time's really gone by, and I'm getting really old. Yeah. <laughs> Well, with Pujols, like, he was gone right away, so there was at least that sort of adjustment. It didn't make it quite as crazy, and a few of the guys were gone pretty much immediately. But, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy that Jaime Garcia was one of the longer-lasting of the group and certainly came in with a lot of promise, pitched well in 2010 when he was uh, third place for NL Rookie of the Year and had some good seasons. Unfortunately, he had a lot of injury struggles and then... This last season, he stayed healthy, but his performance wasn't quite where it's been in past years. But I you know, certainly wish him all the best. I don't think the Braves are really going to be much of a threat this year for the Cardinals as far as like a wild card position or anything like that. So, yeah, he can knock himself out. I ideally not when pitching against the Cardinals, but otherwise I have no uh, ill will towards Jaime Garcia. It's not his fault that he got hurt a lot. It's not his fault that there was... You know, inconsistent form. I guess it was his fault technically, but certainly no uh, malice on his he didn't, part. It wasn't intentional, and I always give him a lot of credit for being able to come back from what are really career-ending injuries. Yeah, multiple career-ending injuries, and he came back every time and was pretty good every time he came back. So I think people question his toughness and maybe mentally and physically. I think he's one of the toughest mentally and physically players there are. To be able to do that, so I that might be a little bit of a a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> yeah, every time I make the comparison on Twitter of Jaime Garcia and Chris Carpenter, people get mad at me. And like, certainly Chris Carpenter was better, but like, there, there's a lot of the same basic thing, which is, is somebody who like all logic suggests his career should have been like over. He should have just been, you know, washed out. And he ended up hanging on a lot longer than he seemingly should have. And commend him for that, and commend him for the fact that he'll. You know, have a year in Atlanta to prove himself, and if he pitches over a full season like he did in 2015, he's about to make a fortune in the off season because he was terrific in 2015 whenever he was healthy. And you know, the team won 100 games; they wouldn't have won 100 if it weren't for Jaime Garcia. And then the next day, sort of a, a lower end move, I guess, than Garcia was that Seth Manis was non-tendered. The Cardinals had the option of offering him salary arbitration. There was some, I think, confusion that... Because the initial reports with Seth Manis after he had gotten hurt last year was that he was going to have Tommy John surgery. He didn't end up having that, but still did have some surgery. There was some question about whether or not he was going to be ready for the start of 2017. And you know, beyond that, certainly questions about whether or not he was going to be effective. But... I th- he's a player that he had a really interesting Cardinal career in the sense that I think he was almost like a cult hero for people because in an era where... That's exactly what he Yeah, was. in an era where everybody is worshipping high strikeout rates, he was a guy who had a you know, pretty pedestrian strikeout rate, especially for a reliever in the 2010s, but pitched with good control, had a good ground ball rate. You know, Ultimately, not the kind of pitcher you're going to build your bullpen around, but he had some good years, and I commend him for that, but... I think that this was really the safe move for the Cardinals, and they weren't going to invest too much time or energy into Seth Manis when you have other guys who can throw harder and who do have definitely higher upside than Manis. I, what I always liked about Seth Manis, I was part of one of those 
cult following of him is that first of all he seemed like a really kind of fun guy and like you yeah. see his interviews and the, stuff the interview i guess it was after the 2015 after they clinched in pittsburgh they clinched the division <laughs> of jim hayes interviewing seth manus and he um he seemed to be enjoying himself, let's, let's put it that. I don't want to make any sort of assumptions, but he seemed very, very happy and very welcoming towards all who were willing to speak to him at the time. It was great. It was marvelous. And then you see people retweet some of his old tweets, and those are hilarious. Yeah, Seth, Seth Manus, before he was like a notable professional baseball player, had a very interesting uh, Twitter account. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna judge him for it. every once no, in a while. No, I think it's awesome. Every once in a while, somebody will dig up something I tweeted like in 2011 or 2012, and I'll just feel embarrassed about it. But you know, what are you gonna do? It, it's, it's said and done. And but no. in addition to those two things, though, what I liked about Seth Manus is that he seemed to do so much with so little. If that makes sense, he was an effective reliever. For the Cardinals, regardless of whether those results were deserving. Yeah, I mean, I think he got lucky at points early in his career, but then he got unlucky later on. So it really ended up about balancing. I mean, he was about an average, and and he got pitched a lot in in some tough spots, and he managed to get the Cardinals through it. So he was able to do a lot with not having the talent that some of these other pitchers do. And it kind of is inspiring to me in a way that he was able to use another method to achieve similar results without yeah. the talent. I, I respect that about him. I'll yeah. miss Seth Manus. As somebody who's terrible at sports, I can certainly get behind somebody who <laughs> is certainly way better at sports than I am, but somebody that's he's not Apparently nec- pretty athletic, deceptively. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's he's not like you know Trevor Rosenthal or something like that who's piping at 100 miles an hour, but had a nice career and I don't know what the future is going to hold for Manus. It's not like he's going to be out signing a huge multi-year deal. It's not like he's going to be dealing like Mark Melanson money or something like that. But could get certainly a shot with somebody. I would expect somebody will bring him into spring training. Somebody will sign him at the very least like a minor league deal with the possibility of a major league tryout. So, you know, we'll see what happens for him. He's still in his 20s, so it's not like he's washed up by any means. And No offense to all you listeners that are not in your 20s. You are not wa- you're not washed up. We're talking about baseball age. Oh, yeah, like baseball age. It's a little frightening to think about guys who were talking about how they're washed up, and I kind of do the math. I'm like, oh, they're like three or four years older than me. <laughs> wow, okay, that's unsettling, but it is what it is. And then in pretty unsurprising news on Sunday night came the news that Matt Holliday had signed with the New York Yankees for a one-year $13 million contract, expected to primarily be a designated hitter, also maybe play a little bit of left field here and there. Again, not a lot of thought that the Cardinals would try to even re-sign Matt Holliday. Anybody who went to any of the games during the final weekend of the season knew that there was very much a coronation in place. The entire thing was and sort of a overwhelming tribute to the guy. And like it almost felt like he was retiring, just the, <laughs> the way that they were doing it. It was like the thank you, Matt Holiday graphic they kept showing on the scoreboard. And not a lot of doubt this was happening. $13 million seems about right, just based on the fact that he's a pretty limited player at this point, really doesn't offer very much defensive value at all. You know, best case scenario, he's a guy who won't be horrible like that's 
the peak of Matt Holliday's defense at this point, but not too far removed from being a really good offensive player. And so not going to begrudge him for like not retiring or anything like that. It, <laughs> like if a team's willing to pay you $13 million to play baseball, you should take it. doesn't matter what the team is. Any, um, I guess, overall like sentimental feelings on Matt Holiday? Any concerns that there wasn't any sort of effort to re-sign him? I think he's pretty limited in the field right now. Uh, he always has been, but as he's getting older, that's not going to get any better. And so I think it makes sense for him to be a DH, and it makes sense for them to let him go, even though the Cardinals are kind of in a crunch for outfielders now. would have been nice to maybe have another outfielder. I don't know. But good for him. I'm glad that he is still playing, but I am really going to miss him because he's sort of been a fixture on the team for, you know, seven years, and now he's gone. It's kind of a bummer. I'm, that's all I have to say. I'll miss him. Yeah, if the Cardinals don't sign another outfielder, then all of a sudden I'd probably be a lot more sad that the Cardinals didn't make an effort to re-sign Holiday. but I think he wouldn't really be the best option, especially if the Cardinals, as they've said, are insistent that Randall Grichik should play left field, then at what point then at that point what are you really doing with Matt Holiday? You're having him occasionally play in the outfield. They gave up pretty quickly on the Matt Holiday to first base experiment, so that doesn't seem to be something that they wanted to pursue. If the Cardinals, you know, counter Matt Holiday and Brandon Moss to a lesser extent, I guess, leaving with a big outfield acquisition, then that's one thing. But if if the outfield on opening day tomorrow, or not tomorrow, if the out, if the opening day outfield is Randall Grichik, Tommy Pham, and Stephen Piscotty, there's going to be questions asked, and rightfully so. But I don't know that Matt Holiday really at this point had much of a purpose with the Cardinals. And I think you know you hit the nail on as far as like this is a DH at this point. This is you know to some extent why the DH exists is you're able to have guys who aren't necessarily able to, you know, cut it defensively, move into that position. Like, to me, that's the optimal sort of DH career arc. It's not a guy like David Ortiz, who's basically a DH from the beginning. It's a guy who maybe wasn't a great defender at his peak, but was certainly okay at defense, like Holiday. And then he was a good enough hitter that you're willing to put him into a DH spot. So, you know, good for him, and I'm not going to get... Like, I'm not going to be one of those people, I think, who, like, has a hard time seeing him wearing a Yankee uniform. I got used to seeing Albert Pools in the Angels uniform pretty quickly. To be fair, that's very similar to the Cardinals uniform. Like, I think seeing um, Matt Holiday wearing pinstripes is going to be strange, especially on that body type. I also kind of remember him... <laughs> I kind of remember him wearing the pinstripes with the, the Rockies uniforms, though, so... Maybe I can sort of revert to that. I don't remember that very well. I don't remember his pre-Cardinal days. Like, think the thought of him in, like, an A's uniform is... Ugh. Oh, yeah, I, I have no memory of Matt Holliday as an Oakland A. I, I know he was an Oakland A, but I have no specific memories of watching him during those three and a half or four months or however long it was. Anyway, he'll join his fourth Major League team and... You know, in the end, Matt Holliday is probably not going to go to the Hall of Fame, but if he were going to go to the Hall of Fame, it would be as a Cardinal, and he'll probably be in the Cardinals Hall of Fame someday. So, there's that. Yeah. And, you know, moving on, though, to players not from the past, but in the future, the two big names that have, you know, been coming up as far as free agent targets who are 
two of the bigger names still on the market. You have the former Cubs center fielder Dexter Fowler, who we talked about in the last episode, as well as the former Dodgers third baseman Justin Turner. You know, one of the other big names that was out there that was sort of peripherally a candidate for the Cardinals, I guess, was Yoenis Cespedes, but he ended up re-signing with the Mets. Going to make a ton of money. I would personally not have given him as much as he did, but he's a great player, so I understand the logic of it. But you know, at this point, you know, obviously two radically different players. You have Dexter Fowler, who's been you know a consistently good player for a while, though certainly has had a breakout in the last couple seasons, being better than he had been. And you've got like Justin Turner, who plays a totally different position, who a few years ago was non-tendered by the Mets, and over the last couple seasons really came out of nowhere to become one of the better players in baseball for the Dodgers. And I feel like early on, a lot of the attention was around Dexter Fowler. It still seems like if the Cardinals were to sign one of them, he'd probably be the more likely one. But do you have any particular preference between the two, or is it just sign everybody? And I'd like them to get both, honestly. I feel like Fowler, Turner, done. That's a good offseason. Get them both. Uh, I know that, that maybe they only have room in the budget for one. Yeah. I think they could get both of them, really. Yeah, like it, it seems like a fantasy at first, but then you look, at the, you start crunching the numbers on it. You're saving the $12 million from trading Garcia. You're saving the $11 million by not picking up Matt Holiday's option. You didn't you know, sign Brandon Moss. And that's like 30-some-odd million there. And like maybe Turner and Fowler make more than that, but not by much. Like It's not that crazy. Obviously, you know, longer-term deals... You might be late your money's worth on those guys early on, but on the back end, particularly with a guy like Fowler, who's very speed-based in his game, it could get not so good a few years from now. And then you have D- or not Diaz, Peralta coming off the books next year, and I know that they have to think about the future and everything like that, but I feel like that would be a good investment, just get both of them. I know I was reading that Fowler won something like $18 million. Yeah, I've heard that figure as well. That seems like a lot. I probably wouldn't want to give him that, but I don't think that Turner will be that expensive considering the quality of player that you would be getting back. So I, if it were up to me, <laughs> which it isn't, I would go after both of them. I've heard rumors that they're going after Turner. I've heard rumors that they're not going after Turner, but I would go after both of them because you improve your infield defense. You get a quality bat with Turner. You can put Matt Carpenter over at first base, and then you have... You have Peralta, which is the issue is where you play Peralta, but I feel like you could you could rotate him around, put him on the bench if you yeah. have to. That's I mean, you don't want to hurt his feelings, I'm sure, but yeah, I've had this grave concern recently that the reason the Cardinals wouldn't sign Justin Turner is because of the presence of Johnny Peralta, which just doesn't make sense to me. And like Johnny Peralta was terrific at the front end of his deal, and. This is kind of, when you sign Johnny Peralta, what you expect. You expect that he's going to be worth more than his contract in the first couple years, but based on the fact that he was getting older, based on the fact that I think everybody knew he wasn't going to stay at shortstop the entire length of the contract, you knew you were going to have to make concessions for him. And if you're going to pay him, I think it's like 10 or $11 million next year to be like a bench player, then so be it. I'm okay with that. You're going to pay that amount whether he's the best player in baseball or whether you're releasing him. So just treat him as though his salary is not a consideration because really it shouldn't be. Like my preference, I guess, would be towards Turner, though I understand any sort of hesitation of might be a fluke, but 
I'm always somebody that kind of worries a little too much about these things. Like, I think it wasn't until, like, 2015 I acknowledged that Josh Donaldson is actually a good player because, <laughs> like, I didn't know who he was. And then he came out of nowhere. So I kept thinking, oh, he's going to just turn back into, like, a mediocre um, player. A pumpkin. That obviously wasn't the case. But, like, Turner would be my preference of them because, like, when it comes to Fowler, I just, I just don't buy that he's going to... Be as like, good defensively as he's shown because that's how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it's not even so much that. Like, I don't really care if somebody is making it on his offense or his defense or whatever. But the the way that he's measured and the way that he's evaluated as being a player who could be worth eighteen million dollars a season is based on the assumption that he's an average to slightly above average defensive center fielder. When until he got to Chicago, he was well below average. Like he was like. Him and Matt Kemp were the two worst defensive center fielders in the game. Matt Kemp's now a well below average corner outfielder. Dexter Fowler all of a sudden perceived as being, you know, at, at the very worst, a competent defensive center fielder. It's it's hard to say. I don't know that. I think I mentioned this in the last episode. I don't love the idea of spending a lot of money on a free agent center fielder because if a center fielder's hit free agency, by definition, they're probably like about thirty years old at least which means that their speed's on the decline, which means that you're going to have to at least give consideration if you're giving them a long deal to moving them to a corner spot, which doesn't really solve the problem. But of course, if you end up signing somebody, or you end up trading for somebody, I should say, you're probably going to give up a lot to do it. And we're recording this episode about seven hours after probably would end up being the biggest blockbuster trade of the offseason, which was the Red Sox trading for Chris Sale from the Chicago White Sox. And they ended up giving up uh, Yohan Moncada, who's literally the number one prospect in baseball, as well as um, uh, Michael Kopech, I think his name is pronounced, or Kopech. But you have Moncada, who is the number one prospect in baseball. Like, whenever Baseball America was doing their midseason rankings last year, Alex Reyes was number two and Moncada was number one. And uh, Kopech was in, I think, the 60s as far as uh, prospect rankings. And then two additional prospects, one of whom sounds like he's kind of a non-prospect. The other one seems like he's maybe hit or miss, but has some potential. And, like, the equivalent haul for the Cardinals to give up probably would have been something along the lines of, like, Alex Reyes, Luke Weaver, and, like, Harrison Bader or something like that. And... Oof. That would be a lot, and <laughs> like that's sort of the price of doing business. And if you're a team like the Red Sox, it's one thing because they didn't really have a spot for Mancada. They were giving up a, a good pitching prospect, but they were also getting you know Chris freaking Sale. So there's and they owe Mancada money still, which I know it's not the 31 million total because I was reading that they paid it in three installments. So this would be the third installment of that 31 million. So some money does go over with. Mankata. Not yeah. a whole lot. Probably like ten million at most, I would say. But yeah, I mean, regardless, though, a, a ton being given up, and that's the sort of thing that the Cardinals would have to do. And it's very easy to say, "Oh, go out and trade for so and so." But once actual prospects get thrown into the mix, then it gets a little scarier. <laughs> and I think teams and fans of teams tend to have a bit of an overrating of their own prospects. There were, you know, rumors that were being circulated, I think somewhat blindly yesterday, that the Cardinals wanted to trade for either like Lorenzo Kane or Gerard Dyson from the Kansas City Royals. 
And like the mere mention of like Colton Wong or Luke Weaver as being part of that, all of a sudden fans were bailing on the idea. But that's that's kind of what it would require in order to get somebody, particularly when it comes to Lorenzo Cain, who had a bit of a down year last year, but was like an MVP quality or at least MVP candidate, like down ballot guy before that. Somebody like Gerard Dice, I think, could be an interesting player because I don't think he's going to necessarily cost as much. Like, you might have to give up a decent prospect, but it's not like you'd be having to give up Alex Reyes for him. And he's a player... I guess the one concern I have, though, is that he's kind of similar to what Peter Borges was when the Cardinals acquired him, which is a player who, at his peak, is probably like a 90 WRC-plus kind of guy, like an okay hitter, but a little below average, but an elite defensive player, elite base runner, you know, at the best. And... When the Cardinals had Peter Borges, they didn't really seem to have a lot of use for him. It seems that Mike Matheny, whenever he's has a position battle, tends to go with the guy that's more of the offensive player. He goes with John Jay over Peter Borges. He goes with, you know, oftentimes last year, Jed Jerko over Colton Wong. Like, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but if that's going to be the case, and you're just using Gerard Dyson as, like, a fourth outfielder, you don't want to give up a ton for a fourth outfielder by any means. And Gerard Dyson is deceptively old. He is deceptively old. I didn't realize that he was 32. I just looked it up now because I was thinking he was a lot younger than that. Uh, he is deceptively old. Well, he, so... well, he seems younger because he was kind of a late bloomer and he's fast, but... And yeah, he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't look super old, but he's older than Lorenzo Kane. So <laughs> I was assu- I thought he was like 27 or something, but he's 32. Lorenzo Kane is 30. So yeah, and they're trading, f- and in trading for Gerard Dyson, you're only trading for that one year because he'll be a free agent after that. But you know, that's part of the problem is that you're only getting the one year out of him, and so what do you want to give up for that? And there is sort of that concern that yeah, you can get even if you were to get say Justin Turner and Gerard Dyson, I think both of those in a vacuum, assuming you're not giving up you know high end major league talent for Dyson particularly would necessarily like those moves would help the Cardinals in the short term but at the same time they're not going to close a 17 and a half game deficit on the Chicago Cubs so it's sort of hard to determine what you want to value do you want to value going for a wild card berth because the Cardinals were one game out of a wild card last year it's it's not like and the Cubs will probably not yeah they overperformed a little bit i don't think yeah that they'll be necessarily 17 and a half ahead but I think that when it comes to evaluating the Cardinals, you almost have to sort of be thinking of what can get you into the wild card because, like, what move is going to make... Literally, the only move I can think of that would make the Cardinals division favorites is if you somehow got Chris Bryant away from the Cubs. (laughs) And the only reason that would be the case is because not only would you be getting Chris Bryant, but you'd be depriving Chris Bryant from your rival. Like, the Cardinals could acquire Mike Trout for nothing tomorrow, and the Cubs would still be division favorites. Like, it's that big of a gap. You can certainly make moves, though, looking towards a wild card. And I'm fine with doing that, but I don't want to mortgage the future just to make one run at one game, which is essentially a coin toss. Because even if you manage to win the wild card game, you're still in essentially you know, a 1-8 in eight chance at that point of winning the World Series. Like Maybe that's sort of you know overthinking it. There were some rumors floating, and still are floating, that... The Pirates are looking at Andrew McCutcheon as far as 
trading him. They sort of have a glut of outfielders at their disposal. The Washington Nationals have come up a lot there. I've never personally understood the notion that a team shouldn't trade within their division. I'm not sure. I'm not saying that the Cardinals should try to trade for Andrew McCutcheon. He's another player, sort of like Fowler, where I think that people kind of overestimate his defense. McCutcheon's never really been a like he's an okay defensive center fielder at best, but has really struggled in the last few years. Since he cut his hair. True. That was sort of his uh, Samson uh, quality. <laughs> Samson's what I'm thinking of, right? That's yeah. okay. I, I make sure I'm not wildly screwing up <laughs> basic biblical references, but. When it comes to a player like, I've never understood the idea that the Cardinals couldn't get somebody like McCutcheon based on the idea that the Pirates wouldn't want to trade him within their division. Because if they're trading him within the division, it also means they're taking assets away from the Cardinals. Like if the Cardinals were giving up presumably some pretty good prospects for a player in the division, that means that the Cardinals also have to face those prospects for six years of club control. Again, I don't think the Cardinals should acquire Andrew McCutcheon for the reasons I don't think that they should pay $18 million for Dexter Fowler because I think that he's a player that's going to you know, maybe be a good enough hitter but sort of being on the downslope of his career. Right, which seems like the opposite of what the Cardinals are wanting to acquire in an athletic center fielder. Yeah. That's the word that keeps getting thrown around. I'm not entirely sure what that means necessarily, but... <laughs> yeah, one name that's come up, and uh, Ben Markham actually wrote about this earlier today on VEB, was Adam Eaton from the White Sox. You know, based on the fact the White Sox traded Chris Sale, it shows that they have some willingness to part with better players in order to get prospects. And, like, Eaton's not a great player, but he's had flashes, and you're not looking at a guy, certainly the caliber of like peak Andrew McCutcheon or peak Dexter Fowler even. But if the Cardinals can, you know, swing like a more of a mid-tier pros, mid-tier prospect package rather than trading Alex Reyes, then that seemingly would make sense. I, have, I don't know anything about Adam Eaton other than that his name on Twitter is Adam Spanky Eaton, which is hilarious to me. So, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to trading for him, but I just don't know anything about him, so... That's it. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's important to keep in mind with any player that the Cardinals are looking at is it's either going to cost a lot of money or it's going to cost some sort of prospects you like. The players are not just going to fall out of nowhere. This was from uh, Brendan Schaefer on Twitter to make sure I get the exact information right. He's a he um, writes for KMOV, contributes to Five Ninety the Fan, and. Um, the poll he had was, based on a report that White Sox seek a young catcher, another Cardinals poll, Carson Kelly and Sandy Alcantara for Adam Eaton. Like, to me, that's a no-brainer. I would absolutely do it. And 69% of respondents at this point say no thanks on the deal. So like that suggests to me that like while fans like the idea of trading for outfield help, they don't like the actual cost that would be involved. I think... Carson Kelly, the issue with that is that they're, the catching prospects are very thin. After Carson Kelly, who else is there yeah. that's ready to go? And Molina isn't going to be around forever, despite our wishes and tr- attempts to make it so. He won't. And so I think when I hear that, I'm thinking, I don't really like that. It makes me way too nervous to not have anyone behind Molina, anyone any good. We would just be completely devoid of 
we'd have to trade for a catcher eventually, probably, and that would be really hard to do. Well, don't worry, because Yadier Molina not only is he going to play 140 plus games for the Cardinals <laughs> this season, he's also going to catch for Team Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic. I'm excited for that. Don't even try to do that. Yeah. Let them play for the. That's fun. The World Baseball Classic's fun. Let them catch. Yeah, I'm nervous about like. Any other player, I wouldn't be nervous. And, like, I've seen that Carlos Martinez, if invited to pitch for Team Dominican Republic, he, he was officially. Invited, okay. Yeah. Must have missed that news. But regardless, like, it does make me a little bit nervous with Molina. It doesn't with Martinez because the pitcher's usage is so regulated that I don't think anything particularly bad is at risk, at least no more so the obligatory. <laughs> Knock on wood, but I don't think there's anything that's particularly at risk when it comes to Martinez any more so than pitching a spring training game. But you know, when it comes to a catcher, you know, especially with the news that the Cardinals are, it, it seems like they're just trying to hold back on Carson Kelly for right now because they want to just get more playing time. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think the Cardinals like? I know that Wellington Castillo, for instance, was uh, non-tendered and. I think he, at least in the first month or so, is probably going to be looking for starting jobs in free agency. But like that's a player that I would totally be willing to maybe overpay a little bit for to be a backup and be sort of a higher-end backup, a guy he that you would... He always hit the Cardinals really well, it seemed like. I remember very specifically being at that game that Trevor Rosenthal pitched like 31 fastballs in a row, and Wellington Castillo hit a three-run home run and gave the Cubs a lead and ruined my day. So it would be nice to have that on our team instead of playing against it for once, since backup catchers seem to always kill the Cardinals, especially for the Cubs. Be like a little throwback to our interview with Kyle McClellan, where he was reminiscing about Ramon Hernandez and yeah. three home runs off of him. <laughs> with these sort of mediocre uh, divisional catchers being the problem here, but yeah, just get them all, acquire them all. Yeah, like. I'm somebody that gets super into like the very idea of an international tournament in any sport, but particularly baseball seems appealing. And I, it seems like a lot more players, at least with countries other than the United States, are taking part in it. They're very excited about it. I think they're that, I don't know, they like, maybe they, maybe we take for granted playing for, I don't know, we don't really take for granted playing for a country in the United States. But maybe baseball players here are more... It's it's a different yeah. culture. And so I think that um, it's more... They, they are more likely to do it. They want to do it more than players here. Yeah, like baseball is not really the case. Like soccer, for instance, the U.S. is getting all the best players they want to agree to play in soccer because like the World Cup is the thing. And like hockey, when it came to like the Olympic tournament, the U.S. had their choice of whoever as long as they weren't hurt. And then, like, basketball, I guess, would be the next step down where you have some big players are willing to play, but others, especially if they've played in the past, aren't as willing. And in baseball, it's really just kind of all over the place. And, like, I always, whenever I, like, I'm obsessed with the idea of, like, a Team USA that's, like, the actual best players in the world. I think I've written at least twice <laughs> on VEB in, like, the last year about who my Team USA would be. But... That's not really what it ends up being in practice. I think it also depends on the success of the sport that you're playing in as well. Like soccer players are very apt to play for the World Cup because that's almost more... I don't know how well soccer is received, but like it seems like the World Cup is almost more popular than... Oh yeah, like the World Cup... MLS soccer. So they're going to be like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. That's more... That's more important anyway yeah like the world cup is definitely considered in soccer to be a bigger deal 
I don't want to say like by how much, but it seems like the World Cup is the thing as opposed to like winning, you know, the Champions League in Europe or the Premier League or something like that. But you know, with baseball, the World Baseball Classic is really just trying to sort of get up and get going. And if Team USA had their 25 best players, they would be overwhelmingly the favorites. Like the U.S. may not have the best player at every position, but they're not that far off at any position. And it would really... I'm not going to say it would be a blowout because it's baseball and you could have weird team, stuff happens. Like you could have Team USA going against a college team every once in a while. The college team's going to win because it's weird like that. But I think overall, like it, it could be fun if if the World Baseball Classic ends up being like that kind of tournament. But like you saw what happened. Anyone who follows hockey with the World Cup of Hockey this year in the NHL, there was a bit of a drop off in terms of participation from like the Olympics and ended up not really serving any specific purpose because the quality of play was perceived to be like it was fine but it wasn't considered to be like the actual world-class players all playing at the height of intensity and there were also players who didn't want to participate and there were a lot of players who were perceived as being, you know, not quite on their game once the NHL season started. And that's a problem that the World Baseball Classic would have as well, which would be that you would have players who were like coming right off of playing internationally and then a few weeks later the the professional baseball season starts. But I mean, we'll, we'll see and hopefully nothing bad happens with Yadi or Molina. That's my my main hope and dream. I don't know that any Cardinals would be considered like top tier Team USA candidates, but you know maybe once guys sit out, then Mitchell Boggs was on Team USA the last time this played. So yeah, and, that, and that's how you know that it's uh, a premium. Term. <laughs> Mitchell Boggs was actually good. He was coming off of a good season. Yeah, yeah. T- twenty twelve Mitchell Boggs was very this good. This was right was... before he was bad, though. Yeah. So mm. we'll see. We'll see though. But <laughs> regardless, though, that's several months away. And maybe the Cardinals will have players like uh, you know Dexter Fowler at that point who are on <laughs> Team USA or or Mike Trout. The Mike Trout trade could happen. You never know. Yeah. It seems unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> but who knows? Well, that's um, I think we've yammered on for long enough. Thank you for everybody who listened once again. Thank Especially you, Especially you, Tyler. Thank you again to Tyler for the trivia question. Much to the chagrin of Heather and. <laughs> If anybody has any questions they want to ask the podcast, send them our way. Any uh, questions you want to have one of us stump the other one with, also send those our way. Particularly if they're questions to stump Heather. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's all good. All right. So, um, Heather, anything else you want to add? Anything you want to uh, advertise? Uh, sure. You can follow me on Twitter. L-I-L underscore Scooter, S-C-O-O-T-E-R 9393. That's my Twitter. And you can send me questions so I can quiz John for once at that same thing, Lil underscore Scooter 93 at MSN.com. So send me some questions so that I'm not the one on the spot all the time. And you can read my writing, same name, (laughs) Um, Monday through Friday, 12 o'clock noon. That's some of the most aggressive I've ever seen you on this podcast. <laughs> you seem very mad right now. But... I'm mad offline. Yeah. No, I'm not mad. But you're... seriously, send me questions. You're not mad. You're actually laughing. Yeah, I really this am. This is all humorous to you. <laughs> I find it humorous, actually. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, anyway, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at JohnJF125. Um, as of this moment, I'm at 999 followers, so <gasps> I'm right on the cusp. I'm hoping that I like get mass unfollowed by the time this goes up, just so people can point and laugh at me. But regardless, if you don't follow me, you can follow me. If you do follow me, I'm probably not going to get worse, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> Uh, follow Viva Alberto's at V-I-V-A-E-L-B-I-R-D-O-S. Check out VivaAlbertos.com, Facebook.com slash VivaAlbertos. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and possibly other places. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't. It's amazing how I care so little to actually research where we're available, but search for it. We're definitely available on Viva Alberto's, definitely available on iTunes. So that's that. And um, thank you for listening. Thank you, of course, for... Um, putting up with us as we still don't know how to wrap up an episode at all. One day we will. One day. I'm not going to make a promise on that, but mm, I will. Please keep listening and hope that we uh, eventually succeed in our pursuit for a good episode wrap up. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, it's, it's John again. So you remember that uh, trivia part of the podcast? I do. I do actually remember the trivia part I, of I was, the podcast. I was talking to the listeners, but okay. So <laughs> I, I mentioned that, Heather had gotten 11, and there were Tell them. six that she had forgotten, and I was one of those who saw five. It's because she actually um, got 12 of them. and I, Yes, I got 12. And I miscounted, and I'm, I'm, I'm terrified. I'm scared for my life. Please send help. End transmission. <laughs>